Right now, you're sitting with me on the shore of Lake Winnipeg. Lake Winnipeg is the 12th largest freshwater body in the world, often referred to as an inland ocean. It's a quiet day on the lake, being very shallow. The waves on the lake tend to whip up very quickly, making it a potentially dangerous lake to paddle on. But this morning, the soft lapping of the waves is slow and soothing. There are a few sailboats far off in the distance, slowly moving across the horizon. Just ahead, a group of four pelicans are bobbing on the waves near shore, dipping for minnows as a paddleboarder drifts by silently. I took a weekend off and decided to take in some of these sights and sounds with my family before going back to another, well, hectic year. If this is your first time listening, thanks for joining me. I'm Joël Chatillard, and you're listening to Disconnect, the Outdoor Education Podcast. In case you were wondering, you're actually hearing Lake Winnipeg. When I went up with my family, I took time to record the soundscape, and the lapping of the waves you're hearing is actually the lapping of the waves on Lake Winnipeg, about 20 kilometers north of Gimli, Manitoba. This episode will take a look at some of the challenges that we're likely to face this coming school year. Lots of you are on the verge of going back to school. Some of you may have already gone back. No matter where you teach, though, this school year will look like none other we've experienced before. And it's likely to have its own unique set of challenges. Some of us will be teaching online. Others of us will have reduced class sizes and be teaching on alternate days with or without an online component thrown into the mix. Regardless of what model your school adopts, it will be radically different from what you're used to and whether or not you feel that it's the best way to move forward, like teachers everywhere, you'll press on because, well, that's what teachers do. I know that I'm in good company in feeling that a part of the problem in planning this school year lies in the fact that policymakers are looking for a solution within the scope of a system which is inherently incompatible with the current public health recommendations. Physical distancing and the school system as we know it are essentially mutually exclusive which is why the answer to our issues lies, well, outside of the established norms of the educational system. I don't have the answer, and it would be arrogant of me to believe that I have it, or even that I could find it alone. As educators collectively put their minds together, I firmly believe that we could develop alternate plans that could satisfy both the health recommendations and the kids' educational needs, but... Whether the political will is present to fund these changes is debatable. So in the absence of major systemic changes, I believe that the answer not only lies outside of the typical classroom environment, I believe the answer lies simply outside. Outdoors is the place to be in 2020. Although the year may be a challenging one, and in many ways it will be unprecedented, that's just one way of looking at it. Let's change our lens and remind ourselves that 2020 is, in fact, a great year to be an outdoor educator. If you've already been taking your students outdoors, 
Your administration, colleagues, parents, and especially your students will be looking for your leadership, not only in continuing to take your students outside, but likely to assist other teachers in following your lead. If you haven't taken your students outside before and you're wondering how to get started, you've come to the right place. Go back and listen to the previous two episodes, Small Steps and The Classroom Garden, and you'll find great information there with both Winston Denny, a kindergarten teacher from Austin, Texas, and Megan Zenny from D.C., The Classroom Gardener, who will assist you in planning some of your first outdoor activities. So beside this... Today, we're going to talk about the locus of control, stress, how it affects your ability to teach and our students' ability to learn, and we'll finish the episode on the paradox of teaching outdoor ed online or with the help of apps. The locus of control, the concept of how in control you feel of your situation, or rather where the control is situated. When the locus of control is internal, you feel that you have control over your environment. When the locus of control is external, you are simply drifting with the situation, unable to change what's happening to you. If you feel that as a result of the pandemic, the locus of control for your teaching is external, you are not alone. For many teachers I know, and even some of my closest friends, this is a huge source of anxiety. So I'm here to remind you that you can take back control. Charles Wilson, the first Baron of Moran, better known simply as Lord Moran, was the personal physician to Winston Churchill, and long before this, he was a member of the Royal Army Medical Corps during the First World War. And during the First World War, he studied and described PTSD-like symptoms half a century before it became even a diagnosis. And one of his main areas of interest was resiliency and the effects of wartime conditions. And let's be serious, resiliency is a topic we talk a lot about in education. In 1945, he published a book called The Anatomy of Courage, in which he wrote, and here I'm just going to keep the pronouns in order to keep the quote accurate to what he had written, in the presence of danger, man often finds salvation in action. To dull emotion, he must do something. To remain immobile, to stagnate in mind or body, is to surrender without terms, whereas movement, work of any kind, helps to deliver him from those feelings which are traitors to his better nature. Essentially, what he's saying is that courage is sometimes simply the product of doing something. And by choosing to do something, you allow yourself to have control over an action or a situation, which in turn gives you a sense of agency. So to have agency in 2020, you can make the conscious decision to take control over your and your students' learning environment. Given the number of experts saying that outdoor environments are safer and the wealth of research espousing the virtues of outdoor learning, the decision to take your classroom outdoors should be a no-brainer. Not only is it in the best interest of your health and your students' health, but also in the best interest of your students' learning. Additionally, it's no coincidence that meditation, mindfulness, and wellness practices consistently use nature as both an audio or visual backdrop. I'm going to put my health sciences hat here on for a minute, being a former paramedic, and I'm going to take just a moment to discuss the human nervous system and how different stimuli affect our ability to learn. First off, your body's nervous system can be broken down into the central and peripheral nervous systems, central being the brain, brain stem and spinal cord, and the peripheral nervous system being everything else. So basically, it's sending messages from all over your body to the central 
Uh, think of it like a public transit system with a main line going up and down from the brain down to the sacrum or your tailbone and then offshoots going to all parts of the body or, all, you know, if this was a transit system, all parts of the city. Furthermore, we divide the peripheral nervous system into the autonomic nervous system and the somatic nervous system. The somatic nervous system is responsible for all of your voluntary actions, like, you know, scratching your head, or if you go out for a run, that's all somatic. Uh, but the autonomic nervous system is responsible for all the things you don't have to think about. It regulates your bodily functions, like digesting your food, breathing, it regulates your heart rate, etc. It is also the system that's responsible for what you probably know of as the fight or flight response. So this is where I wanted to go with this. Let's Let's say that you can vulgarize the autonomic nervous system as always being in either one of two modes. It's either in rest and digest or fight or flight. The former being when you're relaxed, comfortable, all of your basic needs are met. So if you want to think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you've got a solid foundation and it will allow you to learn and reach self-actualization. The latter, fight or flight, implies that some of our basic needs have not been met. Now, whether that's a physiological need like food, water, shelter, or a safety need, a person here experiences a physiological response known as a stress response. At this point, the body goes kind of into overdrive and begins pumping out all sorts of hormones like epinephrine, which you probably know of as adrenaline. It increases your heart rate, blood rushes away from your organs, your senses become sharper and the body releases quick energy stores, allowing you to act quickly. And as the name imp implies, fight or flight. So fight your assailant, flight or run away. It might sound like this superhuman state would make us better at just about everything. Unfortunately, that's not the case because under sustained stress, after all this happens, then your body starts producing another hormone called cortisol. And cortisol is linked to impaired cognition, changes in memory formation, and disrupted integration of information into existing knowledge structures. So basically, cortisol and learning don't really work well together. And considering that most of our students and lots of adults also have been under some level of constant stress since the onset of the pandemic, it stands to reason that anything a teacher can do to alleviate the stress response would be beneficial towards student outcomes. So this being said, if your reason for taking your classroom outside this year is none other than for your own mental health or for the mental health of your students, then that's good enough. Many of us, myself included, are having to teach outdoor ed with some sort of an online component this year. For this segment, I'll be referring to a skills-based outdoor ed course likely seen at the high school level. This is such a strange paradox trying to get kids to disconnect from their devices and back into the real world by using a device. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the subject, but in an effort to give you something you might find useful, I'll outline here quickly what I did in the last few months of the, of the school year last year teaching outdoor ed online. If you've listened to my earlier episodes, you might recall me speaking about getting students to reignite their senses. 
and this was a big part of my goal in teaching Outdoor Ed online. I also focused heavily on using Outdoor Ed as a vehicle for mental health, being cognizant that the screen time this year will likely increase as a result of the different teaching practices. I think that our goal should be absolutely to keep screen time to a minimum and to be extremely mindful about using apps to assist our lessons. So here's an example of a three-part lesson that I did in relation to fire building. Day one, I recorded a selfie-style video of myself out for a walk with my dog through a forest. Now, in the video, I found tinder, kindling, and fuel wood and very briefly described the purpose of each. The video was five minutes long. It showed myself, the teacher, modeling the desired behavior rather than sitting behind a desk. Uh, and served only to give the essential information and to give them a task. And the task was this, go on a walk, even better if you can bring a family member with you, that's not actually bonus points, but you know, a solid pat on the back, and see if you can find all three types of firewood. When you do, take a picture of each, and when you're done, you report back on the online classroom, upload your three pictures. For some students, it was a five-minute walk to the street and back, and for others, it was a two-hour adventure. Regardless of how seriously the students took the activity, I was proud that I just got them outside for even just a fraction of their day. I thought the idea was maybe a little bit lame at first when I put it out there, but the feedback that I got from the kids was extremely positive. Day two, once I'd gotten back to the students about their pictures and making sure that everybody had indeed found uh, uh, tinder that would catch a spark or kindling that would grow the fire and fuel wood that would actually sustain a fire. Uh, the second day's assignment was to go back out on a walk, but this time to gather the materials. And so they set out on a hike again. This time they collected all the materials and I was happy to just send them out knowing that today's lesson would simply get them away from their screens and out into nature for at least a few minutes. I know full well that it didn't take the entire hour for most of the kids to do this, but then again, not every kid takes the same amount of time to, uh, to, to you know, do the amount of laps or whatever they have to run in phys ed when they're doing fitness testing. So that was justification enough for me, and if you think I'm poking fun at phys ed, well, my undergrad was in phys ed or kinesiology, so, you know, I'm one of them. You can poke fun at me too. Day three... They had to build the fire. And actually, sorry, I forgot to mention day two. I didn't get them to report back because it's impossible to do the day three activity without the day two activity. So day three, they had to build the fire. Note, I said build, not start, but they had to build the fire. And here uh, I had the students read a short document that I put up on the online classroom about the three main strategies for building a fire. And once they'd read this, what they did is they went outside and they built their fire. Actually, some of them did it inside. They might have lived in an apartment. Maybe they didn't have an outdoor space. They didn't start the fire, but they simply took the materials and they took a step-by-step -step picture as they were moving along. Starting the fire was optional. Lots of my students did. Uh, obviously, not everybody did. Some of the, you know, maybe their parents weren't comfortable with it or whatever their reason was. That was okay. No points were deducted for that. The idea was that they just had to learn how to build the fire. I wanted to see the construction of the fire. And uh, you know what? I ended up getting this great feedback from kids. A lot of them sent the pictures step by step of the construction of the fire, followed by roasting marshmallows or roasting hot dogs. And it was clear that what had begun as an assignment had finished as an activity and oftentimes for more than just themselves. And they enjoyed it with some of their family. 
This was probably my favorite activity from last term. And at least in my opinion, it was kind of the best outcome that I could have hoped for in, ter in terms of teaching outdoor ed online. Total screen time was probably somewhere around 30 minutes. And since the students are only outdoor ed every other day, I had them, you know, a Tuesday, Thursday, and then a, a Monday. Um, basically, a, a week and a half of class ended up being for or having about 30 minutes of, of screen time. And this was a number that I could really easily settle with. I made it my goal to keep trying to find new activities that sent students out into local parks with family, knowing full well that more than one person would benefit from that. So I made my goal to use Outdoor Ed as a vehicle for mental health. And if you're having to teach Outdoor Ed online, maybe consider having a larger objective than just your learning outcomes. Consider the bigger picture. Now, do you have a great lesson plan that you did in the past that you would like to share? I would absolutely love to hear it. You can always email me at disconnectpodcast at protonmail.com. Lastly, I wanted to quickly touch on using apps in Outdoor Ed. And to be blunt, I tend to not really like them. I find that apps for identifying plants, bugs, or animals are often incorrect. Like yesterday, I tried a new app, Seek, and it labeled my dog as an alpaca. Um, he is a golden doodle. Sometimes he's floofy, but he isn't. I just shaved him, and it's still called him an alpaca. He doesn't even have a long neck. What's going on? Um, so, you know, beside that, I haven't had an app yet that's really correctly identified even just trees in our area. So for me, they just haven't been worth it. But your mileage may vary. I think that the stargazing apps are kind of neat. But again, I feel really strongly about this. In fact, so much so that I named the whole podcast after it. After it. I want kids to disconnect from their devices as much as possible. So often on hikes, I'll be taking kids out and they'll be so disappointed when they get home realizing that the videos they took seriously suck. They don't even compare to the real thing. So I, I always tell them, you know, just put it away. You're going to be disappointed or take one video and then we'll stop 10 minutes in and take a look at it. And you'll realize right then that it just really wasn't worth it. So put it away. Stop trying to live this through your screen. Take it in while you're there. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not a really a, a big fan of apps. But anyways, I've come up with these three questions when myself or when a colleague wants to use apps. I, I always ask these three questions if you and I think you should do the same. If you're thinking of using an app as part of a lesson, ask yourselves these following questions. One, is the app essential to achieving the learning outcome? If your answer is anything other than an enthusiastic yes, don't use it. Full stop. Remember, essential to your lesson is not essential to your learning outcome. What I mean is that I can't graph a sine wave without using my graphic calculator app if I'm teaching applied math. That's essential to my learning outcome, not just my lesson. Second question, does the app require the student to make an account? If the answer is yes, maybe reconsider. First off, the additional step of having to create an account will likely take way too long you know, the, the kids will try downloading it. Half the kids won't show up to class ready with it downloaded. They'll have to create an account on the spot. You'll lose so much precious time uh, and you'll likely regret using it. Second, accounts mean that another company now has their information. And let's not forget that when an app is free, it's because the consumer 
is the product that the company is selling. So I tend to avoid free apps, especially if they ask for a sign up. This being said, I mentioned the Seek app. The Seek app did have an option to use without an account. So that I commend them for. That's from the iNaturalist. They also have the iNaturalist app. Um, they're kind of fun, kind of neat, but I tend to not want to use them in a classroom environment, or at least it has to be very controlled. Last question, is it equitable? Is the app available on all device platforms? So if you have a kid showing up with an Android or an iPhone or whatever they're using, is the app available to them? Do all of your students have a device? I avoid using apps in general, but think to yourself, you know, what would you do if you knew that even just one of your students couldn't have access to the app? Maybe the answer should be don't use it. Again, I would advise against using them if it's not equitable. If the school provides devices, all of the students have access to them, then this is a non-issue. But it certainly becomes an issue in a school like mine where your catchment zone has drastically different uh, socioeconomic statuses. So some of my students have everything. Some of my students want for a lot. So all in all, three simple questions to mull over if you're thinking about using an app in your lesson. Uh, but again, you might have great success with apps. I just haven't yet. You've been listening to Disconnect the Outdoor Education Podcast. I will be back next time, likely with another interview. Um, so please do stick around for that. I would appreciate it greatly if you told a friend about the show and if you subscribed. Uh, it kind of keeps the wind in my sails to keep producing these episodes. I did heed Megan Zanny's advice, so you can now find me also on Twitter at Outdoor Ed Cast, and you can email me at disconnectpodcast at protonmail.com. See you next time.